Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hello, listeners. This is Alana here with Ashley. Today, we're going to be discussing Kindred by Octavia E. Butler and potentially the new show coming out on Hulu in December. Brief rundown of what Kindred is about. Kindred is a sci-fi fantasy novel about a young woman named Dana who is repeatedly returned back to Antebellum South in order to help a young, growing white man who is the son of a slave owner. And with each visit, she spends more and more time there, yet in the present day, little time has changed. Getting started, I would like to ask Ashley what your initial thoughts were. This book was published in 1979 and about 43 years ago, yet that story is still so prevalent today and frankly prescient and not too far away removed from when slavery, as it is written in this book, occurred. Of course, there are different forms of slavery now, but just thinking about the time between being away from slavery and also being now in the present. A lot of people talk about Octavia Butler's work as being futuristic, but also timely. And I just think about the films. There was the film Antebellum that came out a couple of years ago that had a similar premise. Also the film Inception, this way that we view time and place and how you can be somewhere for, and it feels like five years, but in the present, it's like two minutes past. So getting into that piece, I thought Kevin was a fascinating character and just how he supported her. Because if, if I was Kevin, I would be like, girl, what is going on? Like, what is all this mess? But I just think about Octavia Butler as not only a storyteller, but as a artist and someone who really told life for Black people without it being overwhelming. It's a succulent story. It gives you a lot. And just how the story is being told now and being adapted into a Hulu series. You said so many things that while I was reading, it seemed so loud, but were sort of never really the forefront of the conversation. So Kevin's character was really interesting because we have to point out the fact that Dana is black and her husband, Kevin, is white. And so not only are they an interracial couple, but they're an interracial couple going back in time where it wasn't even legal for really for them to touch if it wasn't for a violent reason. And so while he's portrayed as a progressive white man, which he is, he was very, very, you know, very normal <laughs> for what we consider to be normal. You could see in conversations where he was like, well, it's not it's not that bad. Or mm-hmm. downplaying the situation, A, either because he didn't want to accept the fact that being white, he had some part in this, whether he wanted to or not. And then B, he still didn't have the experiences she had, even when he was there with her. Mm-hmm. And even when they had that time apart. And that was really interesting. And then, of course, we have Rufus, who was the most interesting character to me, because you have this person who outwardly loves these Black women because of what's expected of him at the time and because of the power that he has and the fact that he never really grows up he's a child for as long as we're with him he grapples with it and he doesn't even have the tools 
to deal with it. And of course, there's not an environment there around him. So you have these two characters who in a way parallel each other and that felt like such a huge part of the story because Dana's role was set and we understood that she knew it they knew it and it was used as a tool for Rufus for a lot of the book and then in terms of sci-fi as we associate futurism with sci-fi as a whole but it's so present in mm-hmm. in those conversations with stepping back you know really quickly the first time she goes back is was it 18 or 17? I'm getting years mixed up. A while ago, we didn't have California yet. Mm-hmm. Yet a lot of the conversations that were had are conversations that I've had in my present life. I'm in an interracial relationship with a white person who grew up in a different class than me. Mm-hmm. I've had people, white men specifically, challenge me for being educated mm-hmm. in speaking the way that I do and taking mm-hmm. offense to that. Mm-hmm. primarily have had those experiences in the South. This has been something that's been happening my whole life. Be like, oh, you speak so well for someone who looks like you, which is like mm-hmm. not not a super amazing thing to say. And yet I think she's having these conversations. And then of course, the family dynamics, which were talked about less, her mirroring this white man and the fact that there's still hostility, rightfully so, from the Black community as well in terms of quote-unquote mixing Mm-hmm. race what those relationships look like so i felt like it was very very present and that being said i enjoyed the book i like parable of the sower more because i felt like it was more gripping like i feel like the rug was continuously being pulled under me with herbal of the sower but i was gripped to this book and even when i wasn't reading it i was thinking about it and that's always a good sign of a good book to me about when you said meeting people who said when you speak well for someone who looks like you And often the person who says that may feel like it's a compliment or an insult, but ultimately it's standing in who you are because so many people think that, you know, Black people are raggedy and ratchet. And yes, we can be, but also understanding that when the time arrives, we do speak, we, we speak from the heart and we carry ourselves the best way that we can so people when they say that it can either be a compliment or a diss but it ultimately how you receive it is how you're supposed to feel it and you know I wouldn't say thank you to that person but I'm definitely like okay I'm taking my lunch or I'm taking my presence somewhere else because obviously you think you're shading and it's like you're not even a branch but also I agree with the piece about I enjoyed Parable of the Sower more. It felt more visceral to me than Kendra did. Kendra, while it is a stunning story, it just was this back and forth. And especially with Rufus, it seemed like he called Dana with like the snap of his fingers. And whatever she was doing would be in this presence. And she was there a little bit more than she was with Kevin. And then also you sharing your space, being in an interracial relationship, and how that impacts how you read the story. It provides a little bit more of a layer because there's some reality to it. Very much so in, we can just take the last two years. Uh, I mourned George Floyd. Mm. And I'm aware that I actively mourned his death. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Roe v. Wade. That's a little bit more accessible, but it reads as the same thing to me. I know a lot of women who literally took that day off. Mm-hmm. Who shut down for the day 
and I was getting texts of people checking up on me and I was sending out texts checking up on other people. Mm-hmm. And the men in my life, though sympathetic, really couldn't quite get, just couldn't quite understand where that was. They could understand, oh, that's a terrible thing. I hate that that happened, but it'll be okay. And it's like, that's not true for me. Mm-hmm. And if we could talk about yesterday with the Senate passing the marriage protection, that included interracial relationships. Mm-hmm. And when Roe v. Wade happened, not only was that a conversation that I had to have with my white partner, but we both also understood that there was a possibility that Love v. Virginia would also be on the table. Mm -hmm. That's sort of an insane thing. That's what it's like. It's really, A, it's the fact that people who are underrepresented and lack support and representation in this country are still on the chopping block to a certain extent like we're not free mm-hmm. we are still praying that the people who have power in this country don't decide to change the rules don't decide to let that go because they have and they will continue to and then secondly it's the fact that you literally don't have the experiences or the tool sets to even understand that fear mm-hmm. because at the end of the day he is a white man. He is safe in every country. I have to check, have to do a quick news cycle search before I leave these borders. And let's talk about Tom Wyland, his wink when Dana left Kevin's bedroom because he assumed that they had had some sort of sexual relation and not from the fact that they're married, but from the fact that he is a white man taking power over a black woman and there have been people who have made very similar gestures toward me and my partner while we're out Mm -hmm. in this city in this year it's a really weird experience but it's not what people think it is we're not fighting over chicken and macaroni for thanksgiving that sort of thing Mm -hmm. it really is the minute things and sort of the world around us that causes these conversations and i feel like that was present in this book as well hearing you say that like getting high fives when you're out with your partner, it sounds like it's trying to make you all feel comfortable about your relationship and like making other people feel comfortable that they see you. And the same thing can happen in Los Angeles. Like I laugh every time people say like, oh my gosh, Los Angeles is racist. And it's like, yeah, Dodo, not only is it racist, but there's microaggressions. Same thing that we were saying about you speak well for someone who looks like you. And it's a backhanded compliment, like when someone sees you in your relationship. And I also think about in the book, uh, Octavia Butler mentions Crenshaw Boulevard, and that's near where I grew up. See a place where near where I grew up in a story is so powerful, but also thinking that it's still a part of Los Angeles. So here is this intersection that is known, frankly, around the world but it's still a part of this place where it's microaggressions and people trying to feel comfortable with each other as Dana splits between these two worlds. What was really loud in the story is her being in LA and being in 1976 where America wasn't in its prime at the time, but she was still a present day woman having to grapple with when and how to sort of slip into the quote unquote slave minds in this time, you know, there's so many comments about talking back with Wyland and not Wyland and his family members, as well as Wyland and slaves. And I thought that that conversation carried into all the women on the plantation as well. 
And I thought that was really, really interesting because there was that go back and forth. And you need to watch who's listening because blah, 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 you know, you talk real white, which is also something that we experience in communities of color. You're talking real white. You sound like a white person. Watch yourself. But how they would almost silently protest in their own ways without having to say anything and stand in their ground. Sometimes it wasn't even directly be people involved. It would be like Wyland selling Sarah's children and knowing that was it for her. Carrie, who I, I don't know if it ever explicitly said that she doesn't speak, but it never explicitly said that she, well, because what would the term be like mute? Maybe. But she just didn't speak. And it was never specified if it was a disability or anything. They just never really <laughs> dove further into it. She was very communicative and very forward. And we always knew what she was thinking. It was also mentioned that she was able to keep Nigel and Sarah in their place, despite her not verbally communicating or using that as her general form of communication. And then, of course, there was Nigel, who even went as far as talking back to one of the overseers mm -hmm. that was really interesting too because those, those are also things that happen today across minorities as a whole i don't know how i would handle going from the freedom of saying whatever mm -hmm. i can say mm -hmm. right now into mm -hmm. allowing a man that i can see clearly abusing not mm -hmm. only all of the wildlands childish but we have to take into account that Dana is educated yes. and a decently successful writer in her own time. And yes. if she carries herself, then to literally have someone talk to you and threaten you for minimal response at all. And that's where her survival comes in. Not because she knows that she's not in the world where she's a slave. That's not her everyday life. But for the time being, it is her life. So how does she form her survival and also celebrate her success because she does get that she gets published in the Atlantic and she celebrates that so she's emerging as a writer but also being regressed as a slave so it it forms her sort of flight or fight response especially when she is on the plantation there's a line in the book that says i never realized how easily people could be trained to accept slavery that I thought about for a decent amount of time. Because not only is that just an outward fact, but you mentioned that there are other forms of slavery present. Mm -hmm. Also, the effects that it had on Dana and Kevin when they returned in their living spaces and like the softness of the bed and things like that. And I didn't go explicitly into this in the book, but I thought about what it must have been like for them after the book ended to just live in present day after that yeah it just keeps going back to how does she straddle between these two worlds and everything that comes with it does she ever have time to sit and process like day why is this happening to me when she's on the plantation she's in survival mode but when she's in her real life she's trying to process how to build a career how to be a wife but she never just sits on the edge of the bed, the soft bed, and is like, dang, this is messy. It's just something that she's kind of pulled into. And that's immediate from when the book starts. I spent a lot of time with it because obviously we're spending more time with Dana. But hearing Kevin's reflections of what he saw and sort of what he experienced while he was there was also 
just pretty insane because we think of him as safe because he is white, but it was a different time with different experiences. With more thought just on Rufus, I thought Rufus as a character was written so incredibly well because there was just one line that perfectly described it. A destructive, single-minded love of his that was creating all of his chaos. And of course, a spoiler, Dana's continuously returned to Maryland during this time because Ruth is her like great, great, great grandfather. And also something to note that was really powerful in the writing of this was two things that A, of course we all know about slavery, but I still am flabbergasted every time I read about it. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me while I was writing that it is very likely that Octavia Butler's grandparent, not great-grandparent, grandparent was a slave. It was possible that she had just talked to a grandparent and had gotten some of this and the impacts of that. And just how insane it is that this is a real thing that happened for so long. But I did really, really think that Rufus was an incredibly powerful in a human character that she allowed to be human, which is hard to do. It's very easy for us to see a character like Rufus and just be like, you know, fuck you. Did you have any favorite characters? Not necessarily favorite, but my, I was fascinated by Kevin. For him to be the closest to Dana, he seemed to really just understand the situation. And didn't really question anything. Me, I would have been asking a thousand questions. What the heck is going, you you doing what? Going who? Experiencing what? With who? But he is just there for her. And when you talk about Rufus, just this place of like, I'm not overtly evil, but there's a plan to my kindness. So don't take me for everything. Don't take my word for everything. And that dichotomy is so interesting in the story and his character development. What you said was really interesting because there's also a lot of groups being like, hey, you need to don't do that because so so and so will happen. But it was always because he didn't want Dana to leave, mm-hmm. which is something that sort of unfolded. And then I just thought about how much like Kevin and Dana, he also didn't really have anybody. Mm-hmm. His father, they never really had a fantastic relationship, but his father passed away and his mother was absent. And when she came back, it didn't seem like people were super crazy about his mother in the first place. But she was older and a little bit more sick. And he never discovered their lineage, but that really was his only family. And that was heartbreaking to me, too, because they aren't that different because one led to another. But in one way, he kind of felt like he was a part of their marriage in an unfortunate way, but sort of a part of their, like, group. Those were just little minor details that I was thinking about while reading it. Do you have any interest in the show coming out? Yes, I will be watching this series. I'm not normally a fan of book to film or television adaptations, just because the adaptations are more for entertainment value. But the show and recording this podcast motivated me to read the book. This is the first time I've read this book. I've had it on my shelf for years because I will put Octavia Butler on my shelf without reading a word of it. But yes, I'm completely enamored by the trailer. I hope I 
feel like it's going to be more psychological than it will be violent, which I am here for. I would rather my mind be scared than my eyes with like blood or anything like that. So yes, I'm, and it's Hulu. And Hulu series tend to be top-notch. So we're going to be in for a psychological thriller. Did you notice that they're using iPhones mm-hmm. in the show? How do you mm-hmm. feel about the modern? What well, goes back to us talking about this feeling like a present-day story? And even though this is published 43 years ago, you can still publish this today and it it feels something fresh on the landscape that is book publishing and storytelling. So I'm interested to see how they would go or if they do go back to the 70s, like that wasn't a detail, but it could certainly be one, but it's interesting. Well, I'm super, super excited about the show. I look forward to watching it. I don't know how many episodes it's going to be. I am intrigued by the modern take because I feel like a few things may impact how Dana carries herself in this. And even Kevin, because there's a lot more information about history and we're a lot more open about our history. But I also feel like the Black love Black power movement, it's very present right now. It's very present in how the Black community carries itself. And of course, over the last two years, it's just skyrocketed where people who are getting on their phones and using racial slurs are losing their jobs, which is the first time that it's happened in history. And so I'm curious to see how characters who are seeing white people finally or having to deal with the consequences of their actions to go back to a time where they have free reign. And it's considered normal. I don't even know if they're getting to it, but I do think it would be interesting if some of that plays a role. Just long live Octavia Butler. I remember her writing a list of goals that she wanted to achieve. And one of them was to become a New York Times bestselling author. And that occurred two years ago during the height of the uprisings. So that was a gem amidst turmoil and reckoning for a lot of people. So... Yes, long live her work. And thank you, Octavia Butler. This book definitely solidified Octavia Butler as one of my top go-to all-time authors, even though Parable sits heavier with me. But I would encourage people to read outside of Kindred and Parable, though they're really, really good places to start. Uh, She has so many books and she discusses so many things and it really just gets better. Find some of your local stores or bookshop.org. And diving into Octavia, it'll have you at the edge of your seat. But with that, we're going to close out the meeting and say goodbye to everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can find all of our information in the links in our description. And we hope to see and hear from you guys soon. Thank you. Thanks. From Simon & Schuster, today we want to introduce you to a book that will have you laughing out loud and crying tears of joy. Sorry, Sorry, Sorry by Marjorie Ingall and Susan McCarthy is the ultimate guide to apologies. And let's be real, we could all use a little help in that department. Whether you're a serial apologizer or someone who struggles to say sorry, this book has something for everyone. But don't let this serious subject matter fool you. Sorry, Sorry, Sorry is bursting with wit and humor. You're going to love their deep introspection and laugh-out-loud humor about the art of apology. This book is a must-read for anyone looking to improve their relationships and communication skills. So pick up your copy of Sorry, Sorry, Sorry today and start your journey towards better relationships and communication. Trust us, you won't be sorry you did.
See what we did there? Click the link in our show notes to order your copy. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, red woman is a